Well, good morning. Would you stand with me? Welcome to church online. Welcome to church in person. It's great to see you all here. We're going to have some time, a good time praising God, worshiping uh, this Sunday. Probably a little more uh, upbeat than normal. So if you like the slower songs, stick with us. We'll hit it another week. But we're going to have some high energy celebrating Jesus today. God, we welcome you into this place. We pray that you'll be exalted in everything we do. We love you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Sing with me. See him now, King of heaven, Son of God, enthroned above. Heavy cross upon his shoulders to carry it for us, carry it for us. See him now, King surrendered, final word of perfect love. Hear his cry, Father forgiven, spoken for us, spoken for us. When he said it is finished, I hope had just begun. The grave has lost its hold. The weapon down. His rolled away 
Thank you. Yeah, you may be seated. How about a show of hands if we just want these guys to keep playing the rest of the time? You guys are on fire today. Uh, that song, though, is pretty ridiculous. i got to admit it. Uh, that word reckless. Can you think of a, another time in your lives when the word reckless is a positive thing? Oh, that person is reckless. Uh, we, really, we, we enjoy those type of people, right? Oh, you're reckless. No, but that is... The crazy thing of how God loves. He is reckless. And God's kingdom, the one he wants to build through us and with us, is a reckless kingdom where we love in a way that doesn't make sense. When God gets us to the point where we are saying to those who violate us, those who snuff out physical and emotional life, and say, I want you to recklessly love them even though they are your true enemy. When we see the one that's on the other side of the aisle from us, the one we despise, the one that is being praised by the world, and we see the truth of, hey, this is not good stuff, 
And when God can change our hearts so that we still love them and love them recklessly, that's when the good part really starts. Um, I don't know if I really ever listened to that song before, but that that is a hard way to live. But it's definitely what God's calling us to, to live and love recklessly. So as we uh, go to prayer this morning, let's, let's ask God to speak to us individually and corporately about those that we need to be recklessly loving. Loving, not, not being weirdos handing out tracts in your face. Hey, read this, or you're going to hell. That's not real love, is it? Uh, I've, I've tried that before. It, didn't, it backfired pretty good. But loving people actually loving them because God loves them way more than we imagine they could ever be loved and we are loved way more than we ever imagined we could be loved. So let's turn to him and let's just well let's ask for forgiveness for all the times that we have failed to realize what love is and let's see if he will help us help us march on and just uh, build this kingdom the way that he wants it. Father we turn to you right now And we really do thank you for recklessly loving us in a way that just, man, it's not rational. It doesn't make sense. It goes against my common sense to love the people that you asked me to love. But I I guess there's really no other way for there to be victory over sin, victory over evil. That the broken be made whole again if we are not recklessly loving them in ways that just don't go along with the ways of the world. So forgive us for our our self-centered ways where we, we take things first and hand out the scraps. Lord, help us to see that there is plenty to go around. There is an abundance in you. The creator of all things that the giver of all life. And that as we love with everything we've got, we'll realize that there is a endless supply of it. Father, we need you more than anything. So head our, set our hearts straight. God, we just want to see this world become the kingdom that you desire to be. And we pray that we will be a part of that as we seek you in everything we do. We love you, Father. We really are earning, yearning for more of that adventure you have us on. We praise you in all things. Amen.
Amen. Amen. Guys, we come to a time in the service where we get to pass the peace with one another. And I love this time because it just reminds us that we don't just serve a God alone, but that we serve, it, we serve him with others around us. And so uh, I'm reminded, God put it upon my heart, I'm going to put a piece of paper in the back of the, of the service on your way out today. It's going to be, I want you to put your name and a prayer request for you. Because one way that we could be here for one another is by praying for one another. And so uh, with that being said, though, we are a church of practices, not only being one with God, but being one with one another and being at peace. And so may I be the first to tell you this morning, may the peace of the Lord be with you. It'll look a little different here with everything going on. We'll probably be a wave and a wink and a high five. If you guys are online, feel, feel free to tag somebody. Let them know, hey, peace be with you. Let's pass the peace. Speaking of connectiveness and a body of Christ, I want to give you guys a couple different ways that we, a couple different areas throughout the week that we have that we meet with one another. Uh, one of them is going to be on Wednesday night from 7 o'clock to 8, we have a new series. It is Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And so it's going to be an adult class held in Pastor Garen's office, and it's going to be here Wednesday nights from 7 to 8. So come on and join us. We got some, we, we, we want to work on every part of our lives, not just, you know, the healthy side of it, not just emotionally, but every aspect of our lives. We want to be able to work on that. God is a whole God and he wants us to be whole as well. And so stay tuned as well as if you are a teenager or if you know of any teens, the teens meet here Wednesday nights. If you don't know me, my name is Justin. I'm the youth director of this church. So this one's near and dear to my heart, but the teens we meet Wednesday nights from 6.30 to 8, 8.15 really just because I go a little bit over. But anyways, 8.30, I mean 6.30 to 8.15, be here. Last one, and this one I feel like is one of the most important ones. This Saturday coming up, just like we said it last month, we are going to have a church service. It's going to be a moment and a time that we come together, and it starts at 8 o'clock on Saturday. 8 o'clock on Saturday, Mark's going to be heading it up. We are going to be keeping of the grounds of the church, so be ready to work. But I like to call it a church service. Mark, you got something to say? Yes. Tree trimming day. There you go. Perfect. So for those of you guys online who didn't hear Mark, we are going to have a tree trimming service, church service on Saturday. I like to call it a church service because everybody thinks that church is just coming here and worshiping and stuff like that. It's us being with one another and helping one another out. And so we're going to have a church service Saturday here at the church, 8 a.m., where we're going to be trimming some trees. Sounds good? Perfect. We get to continue in our uh, worship with our tithes and offerings, guys. And I, I've said it time and time again, but, uh, you know, I'm excited about it. We should be doing this cheerfully. This is a time and a moment in service uh, that we get to give back to God. And so without further ado, let's just praise him for this blessing that he's given us and, uh, and, and ask him to just continue to further his kingdom and his glory. Lord, we thank you for being a God who is so good to us. Lord, that even death 
has lost its sting. Father, that your word says to be absent from the body is to be present with you. And so, Lord, you've given us everything and all things. And so, Lord, for this moment that we get to give back to you, we ask that you accept this offering, that you bless it, and that you multiply it. Lord, that we do it cheerfully, and Lord, that we do it excitingly. We love you, and we thank you for being a God that provides time and time again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You guys will see here on the screen just a couple different ways that you can give. If you're in the building, we have uh, some, uh, uh, some drop boxes on the way out in the foyer, as well as if you're online, you've got a couple different ways that you're able to give. Hi. Hey, it's good to see you all. Sorry. I usually do a longer bumper. I have about 20 more seconds, so I wasn't quite ready. How are y'all doing? My name is Garen. I'm one of the pastors here. If I haven't met you or talked to you yet, uh, it's good to see you. And along with my cronies, Justin and Jason and Jen and Tim, we are happy and excited to be serving you. And so uh, welcome to church. Whether it's your first time or your first thousandth time, uh, we're glad that you're here. Wow, is this seat really low? You might have done something to it. Oh, Justin. Well, we are in a series. Let me uh, open up my stuff. So we've been in a series called Sermon on the Mount, but I say, and we've been talking about these six statements of Jesus that go against everything that you feel like is right, and it makes sense, and then Jesus says, yeah, but you're really missing the point. I want to tell you what we're really talking about, and I want to expand the picture, and so we've been working through anger, adultery, divorce, vows, vows, I always say vowels, A-E-I-O-U. Today we're on revenge. Dun, dun, dun. Aren't you so glad you came to hear about revenge? And I got to be honest with you, I started, uh, I got on the Google box uh, this week because I was like, oh, what, what's a good opening story I can have for revenge? And things got dark really fast. I mean, there are some really 
vengeful people in this world that have done some really mean things to people. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's like a lot of people are living Taylor Swift songs, just very angry. And so I kind of was like, well, okay, so let's look back historically instead of, instead of like current, because what was happening currently was I felt like it was very, um, very dojo-ish. Let me turn this on. The enemy deserves no mercy. And there were tons of examples that I saw where somebody did this to a person and they responded by doing this back. You with me? And it was pretty intense. And so I started thinking, well, let's look back historically. What is a good example of something in history that might help us with this idea of revenge? And I came across... Two dudes that you may recognize, Mr. Hatfield and Mr. McCoy. Hatfields and the McCoys, 1870, things started going crazy. And they ended up having a feud between families for years. For years and years and years and years. And they would escalate over and over again until eventually... 13 people had been killed and other things that had happened like houses being burnt down and farm animals being killed. And do you know how it started? It started over a dispute about a pig. A pig that led to 13 people dead. Wow, that escalated quickly, didn't it? And it was just... I just couldn't believe it. And I sat there and I thought, it's 1870. I wonder what their lives could have been like if they could have learned how to live a different way. Learn how to live less through the lens of revenge and maybe through a different lens. And it made me think about a book that came out in 1862, just eight years beforehand, over in France, a guy named Victor Hugo wrote a book called Les Miserables. And Les Mis was, well, I feel like it's almost like he was plagiarizing Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount because he gave us two very good examples of what it's like to exact revenge to an exponential amount and what it's like to take a different path. And so, so I don't know if you've seen the movie, but what happens is we have the gladiator who was in charge of Wolverine. And so... Did you like that, Debbie? <laughs> so here's what's happening. We've got Javert, who is a guard, who is watching over Jean Valjean. Jean Valjean is in prison because he stole a loaf of bread, and he spent 19 years in prison for it. Wow, that does not feel like exponential, does it? I mean, it doesn't feel like a normal response. Well, as a result... Um, Jean Valjean is released, and he ends up going to a cathedral and asking for shelter and for food from a bishop. The bishop gives it to him, and if you know the story, you know what happens. In the middle of the night, Jean Valjean gets up and he steals the silverware from the church. He flees in the middle of the night. He's caught by the guards. They bring him back, and they go to the bishop, and they say, This man says that you gave him this silverware. And we know that he stole it from you. 
And here's where it gets good. The bishop doesn't do what you would expect. The bishop doesn't say, yeah, that's right, he did. Back to jail. Yeah, he broke parole. This is what happens with criminals. Yeah. What the bishop does is something absolutely astounding. He says, oh, yeah, I I gave him the silverware, but my friend, you left you left the most valuable parts. You left the candlesticks. Those are worth more than anything else. I gave that to you as well. And the guards are dumbfounded, and he sends them on their way. And the bishop looks at Jean Valjean and says, Do you realize what I've done? I've bought your soul for God. I didn't exact revenge the way anyone would expect. I gave you mercy. Not only mercy, but I gave you overwhelming mercy more than you could ever hope for, more than you could ever deserve. Now go and live a life in response to the grace that you've been given. And if you can kind of understand a little bit about this story from Victor Hugo in in 1862, then chances are you'll understand what's going on in Matthew chapter 5. We're in Matthew chapter 5, verses uh, 38 through 42. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there with me. If not, I have the words right here, and I'm going to have Kimmy run it for me. And this is what the Word of God says. You've heard the law that says the punishment must match the injury. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. If you're sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give the coat too. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. Give to those who ask. Don't turn away from those who want to borrow. God, I pray that you'll open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit. That as we dive into these scriptures and your words proclaimed, that we will hear and respond with joy to everything that you want to say to us today. We pray this in your name. Amen. So, it's like we've talked about before. Um, when Jesus says, you've heard it said, we want to know, well, where did they hear it said? And so, my Bible, if you have a Bible, a lot of times it has little notes on the bottom. Mine says, Exodus chapter 21, verses 24. So, if I turn back quickly to Exodus 21, 24... I'm going to read a couple verses before and after. The punishment must match the injury. A life for a life, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, a hand for a hand, a foot for a foot, a burn for a burn, a wound for a wound, a bruise for a bruise. So we see Jesus is taking something that has been ingrained in the Hebrew mindset, the Jewish people had this Torah, these rules of laws, and right there in the law says there should be this eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth mentality. But guess what? That wasn't just a Jewish thing. In fact, that was a rule that has been in most cultures throughout humanity. The Romans had a rule that said you can't abuse someone that way, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Um, Islam, which went back to the days of Abram, which was long before Moses and the law came around, Islam 
the Quran says, we ordained for them therein a life for a life, an eye for an eye, a nose for a nose, an ear for an ear, a tooth for a tooth. In ancient Babylon, have you heard of Hammurabi's code? These laws of King Hammurabi from ancient Babylon. Now, we're not talking about the Babylon when, the Israel's, when Israel was in exile. We're talking about a thousand years before then when King Hammurabi, man, that's hard to say fast, had these laws in Law 196 said, if a man put out the eye of another man, his eye shall be put out. So you have not just this Torah law, not just this Israel law, this is kind of a humanity type of thing. We understand that taking an eye for an eye was normal for most cultures. When Jesus would have said this, it wouldn't be that the Romans and and everyone else would have checked out because it didn't apply to them. They all knew this rule. This had been ingrained in civilization for everyone. And so when Jesus says, but I say to you, everyone's ears would have perked up. Wait a minute. You've been turning everything upside down, Jesus. Now you're going to turn this upside down? I mean, this is more than just a few people's mindset. This is kind of our global community feels this way. But the purpose of the rule was simple. The purpose of the rule that everyone had was simply to keep people from going too far. It was to keep people from hitting the nuclear option. You know what I'm talking about? It's, it's when something happens and you just lose it. And we don't need to look very far. We can look at driving down the street. You've seen it happen before. Maybe somebody swerves over or honks their horn, and then the other person goes berserk. Have you been there? Yeah. It's crazy, and all of a sudden it's like, holy cow, what I do? I just, I just got in another lane, and he's yelling at me. You know, we've seen, I, I read a couple months ago about a guy that his family was coming down, and he accidentally cut somebody off, and the guy pulled around and shot through the car. The purpose of the law was to make sure that you don't press the nuclear button, that things don't go too far, that, that justice is done in a proportionate manner. You know, you watch those shows about the president and something happens and they strike back with a proportionate response. They don't, you know, something happens, they don't wipe out the nation. No, they do kind of like, well, you bombed this, so we'll bomb that, and we'll make sure that everything is level. The, pr- the purpose was not to overreact. And I got to tell you, that's easy for me to say to you. When we're driving in the car and something happens, and I can turn to you and say, hey, dude, calm down. You know, you're getting upset. They can't hear you anyway. They're in a different car. It's easy for me to say when it's happening to you, but when it's happening to me, it's on. It's on like Donkey Kong. Are you that way? It's so easy for me to say, Jen, calm down. It's not a big deal. And then there are other things that are much more minor that I'll be like, I cannot believe this. The wrath of Garen will be coming down on them with a vengeance. Are you that way? I feel like it's human nature, which may be why almost every civilization has had some sort of law like this to kind of keep us all in check. So what does he say? 
He gives four examples in this. So, but I say to you, verse 39. Don't resist an evil person. If somebody slaps you on the right cheek, offer the left cheek also. So let's, let's just talk about this a little bit. I was Googling... I was Googling things that, honestly, I'm worried that I'm on some watch list now. Because I Googled, I was curious why he said, you know, two slaps. And I was like, I wonder, what's worse, a backhand slap or a forward slap? And so I'm Googling what's worse. And scarily, there are lots of answers. Like, people have talked about this before. I didn't realize that when you hit with a forward slap, the fleshy part of your hand makes it hurt less, but it'll make a louder pop. When you hit with the backhand, you've got your knuckles, which can cause a lot more pain and damage. When you hit with the backhand, whap, much faster than winding back. You can see a forward slap a lot easier than you can see just a psh. Did y'all know that? <laughs> so, so when Jesus is saying, if it hits you on the right cheek, if, if I'm going to hit Justin's right cheek, it would be a backhanded slap. If I were to hit him with my right hand, I'd hit him on the left hand. Are you fake hitting? There you go. Jesus is saying, when people do the worst to you, your job isn't to react with proportionate response. Your job is to offer an alternative. Jesus is saying that the follower of Jesus would rather not instigate more violence, and they would rather receive more pain than to inflict it on someone else. That's tough. This kingdom value thing is difficult. We've been learning that for a while. I wonder how that would have sounded in the ears of the zealots of the day. We know that there were people that were amassing small armies, always trying to overthrow the Roman government. I wonder how a Roman hearing that would, would receive that. I think they would have struggled with it, kind of the same way that I struggle with it. Verse 40 says, if you're sued in court and your shirt's taken, give them your coat also. And so I was thinking, okay, coat versus shirt, shirt versus coat. And again, Jesus, just like he's been doing with all these things, with murder, with adultery, with your light, with your salt, Jesus is giving this creative imagination to prove a point. And what he's saying is a shirt is valuable, but a cloak is much more valuable. A shirt can cover you, but a coat can be used to keep you warm. It can be used as a mat for you to sleep on. It can be used as a pillow for you. A coat is more valuable. When somebody comes at you and they take something Don't fight back. What happens is when you give them your coat and you give them your shirts, it leaves you figuratively and quite literally, I guess, back in those days, naked and exposed. It leaves people seeing that you are the one that was doing everything possible to live at peace and the other person was not. I wonder how that would have rang in the ears of the enemies. How, how, how they would have thought that that played out. I have every right to take that. I took you to court. I sued you. And now you're telling me 
that you're not even going to play by the same rules? I think it would have really frustrated the enemy. In verse 41, if a soldier demands that you carry his gear a mile, carry it two miles. Now, we can understand this. I mean, you, you don't have to go back very far in our American history. You know, you got the colonial war and you have the, the people in the colonies and the British people are coming over and you had to do what was called quartering, which meant you had to feed and house your enemy. You had to feed and house the people that are coming over across the sea to oppress you. And back in the days of Jesus, a Roman soldier would have the right to require a citizen of Rome to carry their gear up to a mile. Typically it was a thousand steps is how they measured it. And so you'd be like 998, 999, a thousand, there's your junk, and you'd walk home. How do you think that would play out for a soldier who has all the power and all of a sudden you get to a thousand, thousand one, thousand two, thousand three, Wait, wait a minute, you're, you're not playing by the rules. This is where you typically throw down my gear and I have to find someone else to carry it. I wonder how that would have played out in the soldier's mind to understand that they were not responding in a typical way. The fourth example, give to those who ask, don't turn away from those who want to borrow. Have you ever noticed that sometimes the sweetest revenge isn't from something that you do? Sometimes the sweetest revenge is from something that you don't do. Picture this. You're, you have a nemesis. Congratulations. Your nemesis is just tormenting you all the time. And all of a sudden, they fall on hard luck. Something bad has happened to them, and they are losing everything, and they are spiraling out of control. They are so broken and upset that they actually come to you, their enemy, and they ask for help. And all you have to do is nothing. How do you think Jesus would respond to that mindset? Do you think that that is an acceptable response for a follower of Christ? How, how would it affect your soul and my soul when we realize that doing nothing isn't an option? Even if it ends up hurting your enemy. Sorry, even if it ends up helping your enemy. To do nothing isn't an option. If somebody is in need and you know about it, your job, if you are a follower of Christ, is to help. You don't get a pass just because you like them less than someone else. Y'all, this Sermon on the Mount stuff, this is hard. These kingdom values that Jesus is talking about with, with anger and lust and dehumanizing people and keeping your word and your yes being yes, these are tough things. It's much easier to follow the rules and just obey the law than it is to follow these kingdom values which have a much deeper and richer level. 
But if we're going to follow Jesus, and if we're going to do what Jesus wants us to do, and if we're going to be how Jesus wants us to be, and if we're going to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, then we have got to come to terms with the fact that we need better values. We need kingdom values. When Jesus is talking here in this passage, he isn't saying, don't go nuclear. Don't go out of control with your revenge. Of course he's not saying that. Nobody in society would have said that. All of civilization for thousands of years had said, don't do that. You've got to have equal justice. So Jesus isn't saying that. Here's the problem. Jesus isn't even saying revenge an equal amount, an eye for an eye. What Jesus is saying is something so radical and so revolutionary that it left everyone speechless and confused. Jesus is saying, what if you were to not exact any revenge? I'm not even talking equal level. I'm saying, what if you were to love your enemies? What if you were to give openly and freely to those that have a need, whether you like them or not, whether they're gotta be honest with you i don't like that i struggle with this because it's easier for me to justify my anger because society accepts it it stinks i don't like it but kingdom values places a premium on people Jesus is saying, don't exact revenge. What would happen if instead of you exacting revenge, you had some sort of reconciliation? What if there were were a way to stop this spiral of I hurt you, so you hurt me more, and I hurt you more, and you hurt me more, and I hurt you more? What if you decided to say, I'm going to take my anger and my revenge out of the equation? And I'm going to put a high priority on you as a person. This is why we talk about this being an upside-down kingdom. This doesn't make sense in any civilization that we know of, but it makes perfect sense in the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of heaven, that Jesus says the kingdom of God is come. So, what does this mean? What, what, I think there are two lessons that I can quickly point out. The first thing is this. You don't always get to choose what happens to you, but you always get to choose how you'll respond. You don't always get to choose what's happening to you, but you always get to choose how you will respond in the situation. Will you choose to go nuclear? Will you choose to get back at just an even amount? Well, they hurt me, so I'll just hurt them back a little too. Or will you choose a way of forgiveness and trust in God that is deeper and richer and that can break this cycle of anger? You have the choice. You get to choose. You are not a victim in that scenario. You have the freedom to forgive. And I'm not making light of it because I know that people are dealing with some real issues and there is some real pain from things that have happened to you to from former friends or co-workers or family or parents. I'm not making light of that. 
I understand that many of us have brokenness. And by many of us, I'm guessing about 99.10% of us. I'm not making light of it. I'm just telling you, the way the world tells you to respond is not going to bring wholeness. There's a better way. And yes, this is where I have a shameless plug for Wednesday. If you're dealing with something or you're struggling with something, I encourage you to join us Wednesday at 7 for Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. There are things that we'll be going through that will set you free if you will let it. Second thing is, how you respond will speak volumes about who you are and where your hope is. And it will either affirm or astonish your enemy. What would happen if you would choose a different path? What would happen if you would choose a kingdom value over a worldly value? What would happen in that situation if you would say, I'm not going to play this game. I'm going to do something completely different, which is follow the way of Jesus, which is going to leave them a little bit confused, a little bit amazed, a little bit astonished, and completely reevaluating their lives. You have the choice to affirm or astonish them by how you respond. And it all comes down to proving to them where your hope is. And your hope isn't in, I get you so you get me. Your hope isn't in these kingdoms or nationalities that we see. It's in a kingdom value that is much higher and much deeper than that. Okay, thanks, Garen. Awesome appreciate it not realistic i want to give you just a couple of examples as we close of people that have done this you ready here we go Hatfield and mccoy 1870 i don't know if you remember this but in they actually finally came to a truth do you know when it happened 2003, 130-year feud, and they finally said, this is dumb. This is why I love this story. They went from feuding and killing each other to now they have an annual Heritage Day where they all come together, they reenact scenes from their history, and their whole purpose is about reconciliation and forgiveness. And they talk about the fact that if we can come together, and if we can forgive each other, and if we can get beyond our anger and revenge, anybody can. If you're in uh, Pikeville, Kentucky, in about two weeks, it's happening in September, September 16th through 19th. It'll be a lot of fun. I encourage you to go. Next one. Many of you may recognize this woman. Her name is Corrie Tinboom. She was a Nazi concentration camp survivor. You may know her from her book or her movie, The Hiding Place. So she lost many family members in the concentration camp. She barely made it out and... In 1947, she had the opportunity to come face-to-face and confront a guard that had been in the concentration camp, guarding and tormenting her. 
I love how the news report said it only gave, she only gave a moment's pause before she quickly went up, smiled, and shook his hand. The worst of humanity coming against her, and she chose a different path. She said this, You never so touch the ocean of God's love as when you forgive and love your enemies. And I sit there and I think, if she can do it, I don't have a lot of reason why I can't do it. 2006, I don't know if you remember this. Uh, uh, Nickel uh, nickel Mines, uh, Pennsylvania. A man walked into an Amish school and killed five Amish uh, students, five girls. And within hours, the Amish community was at the killer's house comforting and loving on the killer's wife because they understood that her life had been destroyed by this act as well as theirs. Their daughters had just been killed and they are loving on their enemy. And, I mean, the obvious one, if you are a follower of Jesus, is what happened a couple thousand years ago. When innocently, our Savior was hung on a cross. When, if the Psalms are correct, and and Jesus did have the ability, he could have called heaven's armies down to get him off that cross. And yet, instead of flexing power and might, what he did was astonishing. He prayed for them. He prayed for the people that were nailing him to the cross. Forgive them. They don't understand what they're doing. So let me let me have you let's just let's let's bring it down and, and I'm gonna have you close your eyes just just so you can gather your thoughts. I I wonder if there are some here that need a moment maybe just to pray. And so I'm gonna give you that time maybe you've carried this anger or this rage with you for so long that it's almost like it's become part of who you are and the thought of letting it go would almost feel like there's a part of you that's missing if you've had it that long i know it can be scary but it could also be what sets you free And I think most of us can agree that freedom in Christ is worth far more than any anger or revenge that you could be plotting or playing through in your mind. Wouldn't it be nice just to be free? To not have to carry that baggage. We carry around so much. Wouldn't it be nice not to have to carry that? So Martin Luther King Jr. once said, that old eye for an eye leaves everybody blind. The time is always right to do the right thing. I think his words are very kingdom value words. Because as we've been going through these antitheses, we've been talking about what love is not. And this week we learned that Love doesn't keep score. 
that's just not what love is. And if we're going to take this sermon of Jesus seriously, we have to learn the way of forgiveness, the way that Jesus teaches. I think it was uh, the poet William Blake that said, the glory of Christianity is to conquer by forgiveness. My prayer is that this kingdom of heaven will continue to invade us. That these values that seem so absurd on the surface will begin to take root in our hearts and our minds and then as opportunity arises, we'll begin to display this value of this kingdom of heaven that Jesus has come to usher in. That only happens, folks, when we live lives of forgiveness. So Jesus, in this quiet moment, I know that probably not everyone in this room deals with rage or revenge. But I'm guessing that all of us deal with levels of anger and resentment that are not indicative of who you are. And if we are to follow you, that means they shouldn't be part of our nature. God, the one that got me is how often I choose just to do nothing. How often I choose to just leave people to their own decisions. They deserve it anyway. When the truth is, God, you you didn't leave me where I was. I deserved, I deserved everything coming to me, and yet your grace and your mercy, your reckless love that pursued me and would not let me go. I pray that you'll help me to live my life showing others, friend, stranger, enemy, that same reckless love. I pray that for my friends here too. God, I can't even imagine what would happen if a small group of people like us would start to live out these kingdom values. I can't help but wonder if we could be the epicenter for a next great awakening. I can't help but wonder what would happen even if it doesn't reach beyond our homes and our neighborhoods how the landscape spiritually could change if we would just get on board with your kingdom values. I pray for boldness because it looks crazy to anyone that doesn't understand. I think of your... The words in Corinthians, the spiritual man has insight into all things and it bothers and baffles the man of the world who can't understand it. For how could he? He's never been one to know the mind of Christ or to, the mo- or to move the hands of God through prayer. But strange as it seems, we have this power among us. 
God, that's what we need if we're going to break these cycles of revenge and anger. We need your mind, Christ. We need your hands to move in our lives so that we are more like you. And we pray that you will be faithful to your nature and that we will respond. Thank you for loving us so much. Pray this in the beautiful name of Jesus. Understanding that it's the power of the Holy Spirit that can give us the strength to live out these kingdom values. And we pray this to a holy God. Amen. Well, thank you, Garen. It's almost like you plan your music and your sermons to go together or something. That was a great word about loving recklessly. Uh, this is the, uh, the time when we come together to celebrate the, the sacrifice of Jesus. It's, it's weird to celebrate, but it's something just, it's glorious. He loves us recklessly. And um, if, you, if you don't have your Jesus snacks, it's a good time to go back and get them now. Um, I've got to be honest, this isn't my favorite time of the week to break bread and share a drink together. A uh, little example. Um, there's a place that we've got to, to know here in the area. It's a little Italian restaurant. Uh, I used to live in Sicily, so I got used to the mob. And this place has a real mobster feel in it. Where there's a lot of uh, people with changed identities hanging out in there. And we've gotten to know a waiter there. And so uh, in-laws are in town. So we went back again last night. And uh, this waiter, my six-year-old, he loves this guy. From day one, he loved this guy. And he says this place has the best tasting water. We're like, okay, well. So we keep going back. We've gotten to know him. And uh, you, you build a little relationship. And I was thinking about how this guy, he's, he's not eating with us, but he's breaking bread with us or slicing it, pouring the drink for us. And uh, through noticing and things about him and, and using that in conversation and other things, we were able to exchange information last night in the hopes of breaking bread with him further, sharing a drink with him further. And this guy, he's just, we all like to eat, right? We all like to hang out with people. Jesus wants us to take this, this great sacred thing that we do here and use it out in the world. And the places that we have deemed not sacred We've got to realize that this is a place of worship, too. And we're in this old, dark restaurant. It's a place of worship where Jesus is present, breathing, living, loving. So as we break bread together today, I'll give you a few seconds because it's a tedious task sometimes to get this open. Let someone come to mind. Someone that God is speaking to you about, that He wants to lead you to to break bread with. And remember that night that Jesus was with His disciples, even one of them who was about to betray Him. And He broke bread with them. He said, hey, remember, remember me, my body broken for you when you eat. So let's do this together. And this week, you'll be with someone. 
Maybe someone familiar, maybe someone new. Maybe someone you're building a relationship with when you're with them. Let Jesus talk to you. And so that you remember, hey, this reckless love that Jesus poured out for me, on me, I want to live this into this next life. So, take this juice, the fruit of the vine, as Jesus drank it with his disciples, even the one who was going to betray him, he did that many times with Judas before that. You remember that? It wasn't just that night that he ate and drank with him when he knew what was coming. This week, let's live this into someone else's life. Let's drink together. Father, we thank you for your love that doesn't make sense. Your love that has changed everything about us and for us. A love that will live with us through eternity. We praise you, Father. Amen. Amen. Will you stand with me? Man, it's been great to be with you today. Um, if you're visiting with us, we sing our benediction, uh, which is a fancy word for a dismissal. And so um, I invite you to sing with me. Um, and then... If I could get a little help stacking some chairs for our preschool class that we'll be setting up here afterwards. Um, again, if, if Justin or Jason or Jen or I haven't met you in person, we, we'd love to meet you afterwards. So connect with us afterwards. Uh, let's sing. We sing hallelujah. Let your kingdom come in our hearts, in our homes. Let your will be done. As we go in your name, we shout and we proclaim, let your will be done in us. Look at that. The computer froze and we still knew it. That's awesome. Go this week in peace to love God and to love others well. Bye.